Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer news, rockin' America. Soccer news, rockin' America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Soccer Noob Rocket America, featuring my daughter, the greatest host of all time, Person Noob. Hello! And we say hello to you from the Isle of Sodor, where I am the FA and Premier League's only official international journalist. Yeah, um, in case you're newer, I got to announce this about a month ago due to some connections I have here, family lineage. They, despite the fact that I'm a noob, have allowed, maybe because I'm a noob, have allowed me to be the sole official promoter of the league uh, internationally, or at the very least here in the States. Our sound quality is going to be much better this week than last week. Uh, last week, we, you know, I was staying at a place that just really wasn't set up for podcasting. But this time I'm in an Airbnb in Lakeside here in Sodor. And uh, the husband of the couple, he actually has a really nice studio uh, set up because he does a local podcast for Lakeside FC. So we're excited to be sounding a little bit better this week. Now, for this week's episode, as always, we're going to be mini-previewing matches from all over the world, uh, dating from Friday, October 14th through Thursday the 20th. Which matches? Well, just the most paramount intriguing matches you'll find anywhere on Earth, as we define that. Some of the matches might be ones everybody's talking about. Well, they will be, but many of them are not necessarily. Nevertheless, they are top matches where they're being played, and we're trying to learn the whole globe's worth of the sport all at once. Thank you for joining us for it. Now, for us, Soto again, week one, we saw Dry Eye, uh, the defending champs, well, from the only year they ever had a Premier League, 2018-19, before, you know, uh, before the pandemics hit, uh, pandemics meaning COVID and the incredible outbreak of mad cow disease over here that really affected everything. Wow. Uh, they got whomped 6 nothing by big bad Brendam Harbor, who had a bad regular season, were expected to be league favorites, and did win the FA. So essentially it was your Super Cup, even though those festivities were really the week before. Now this week we spent here in Lakeside, uh, where the locals hosted favored uh, tough guys, East Coast Diesel. And to the surprise of most, it was the Lakesiders defending their turf, winning by an 8-3 score. Yeah, 8. Uh, they don't do a lot of defense here on Sodor. But everybody expected more uh, you know, more of that from you know, the only team that historically has ever shown any sort of defensive aggression here on the island, East Coast uh, Diesel. They're much more uh, standard European in their style. They're not... Uh, you know, everybody loves them right there where they're from on the East Coast, but absolutely nowhere else. Big bunch of meanies, basically. Uh, but yeah, the defense was not there on that particular sun- Sunday afternoon. LFC, Lakeside, they just countered them all day long, and uh, East Coast Diesel didn't have the speed catch up. 
Anyway, eventually we will have a more fully devoted segment here uh, for the Isle of Soda Premier League stuff as I learn more about these teams and once we get a handful of games into the season and kind of see the shape of things. And we would like to uh, provide the league with a website, hopefully. Soccer Noob USA is my uh, Twitter handle. Anybody interested in uh, improving their uh, uh, tech and or soccer resume and uh, wants to uh, kind of help run things on that end, please feel free to contact me on Twitter and let me know. Uh, until then, before too long, I'll be posting uh, results and complete tables on Twitter. As for this coming week, no full preview for you yet. Season's, again, just getting going. But the feature match, um, I can tell you, will be uh, – I'm going to be in Vickerstown, also there on the East Coast. Uh, they were the number 13 finishers last week – so in the, or not last week, but in 2018-19, rather. And they will be playing host to a really curious team. Uh, they finished in second place. That is Peel Godred. Uh, they're from way up in the north, the uh, north-central and northwest part of the country – it is a lot of uh, hinterland, a lot of farmland, and uh, not really quite as connected other than, you know, trains for agriculture to the rest of the island. And the same thing can be said for sort of the northeast part, uh, which is where the, uh, a lot of the mining still is, not nearly as much as there once was. But, you know, the miners in particular tend to be a really uh, interesting uh, bunch. Uh, they're Sudric but they're stoic is the way that I'm going to phrase it. And they had a very good team in 2018-19. Again, more on all of the league happenings there in Sodor in the coming weeks. But for now, let's dive into our worldwide upcoming week's matches with... Match number one! No Friday matches this week in the world were quite bright or shiny enough to make the cut for our final ten. One versus uh, number B in Somalia got close. But instead, we will start... On Saturday, moving as we do through the week chronologically in match number one, it is time for the Major League Soccer playoffs here in the state. So the first round, let's take a look at uh, what the format has been in case you're new. Of the top seven teams from each of the East and Western conferences made the playoffs, so the winners and the winners only get buys straight through to the quarterfinals. The most intriguing matchup to us here at Team Noob looked like number four out of the West, LA Galaxy, and uh, they are playing host to number five, Nashville, yes, Nashville in the West, believe it or not. I believe they spent their first year in the East, got moved to the West, and now I'm assuming because of the uh, adding next year of St. Louis City in a Major League Soccer, their new franchise, Nashville, will be back in the East where they belong geographically. These two tied on points. Now, Nashville had the better goal differential, but that is not the top tiebreaker in Major League Soccer. Here in the States, we go by total wins, and LA Galaxy had one more win, and that is all the difference that they get to host this match. They've already played twice this season. Uh, the Galaxy, they defended their home turf in the 1-0 win earlier, and the Nashville later in the season uh, managed a 1-1 draw when the Galaxy came to visit. Uh, the winner of this match will get number one seed LAFC, your supporters' shield winner, best record in the whole league. You can catch this one at 3 o'clock Eastern time on Univision or TUDN. I believe they're actually both uh, basically the same thing now. Anyway, the Galaxy. Let's talk about the hosts first. Uh, Carson, I knew they played their greater L.A. area. What I did not know was that they uh, play on the campus of Cal State. Just kind of an interesting side note. They are the four-time MLS League champions, but the last time they hosted that hardware was 2014. They also have one CONCACAF Champions League title to their credit. They won that back all the way uh, in 2000. That was when the format was a little different, albeit probably no uh, less difficult than it is now. But the new era really starts in about 2002 or so. 
Another interesting side note, by the way, related to the Champions League here in our region, Seattle. They finished with a positive goal differential, probably would have made the playoffs if they were in the East, I suspect, but they couldn't get it quite all put together and make the playoffs. They finished uh, in something like ninth place in the West, I want to say, missed it by a couple of slots, the top seven they did. This despite the fact that they won the Champions League just a few months ago, the first team here in the quote-unquote modern Champions League era from the U.S. rather than Mexico to do so. Anyway, Let's get our focus back on the Galaxy. They struggled a little bit on defense, very average in that regard, in the admittedly stronger Western Conference, giving up one and a half goals per match. Uh, offense, though, top three, that is where they really shone, getting nearly one and three quarters goals per match. Good overall for the number five goal differential. Top 10 scorer in the league is there to boast of Javier Hernandez, known as the Little Green Pea. His dad was a footballer who was simply the Green Pea. He is Chicarito. Mexican striker, 34 years old. His veteran presence has anchored this team for a while. Spent the heart of his career with Manchester United. And if you're new to following soccer and want to keep your eye on him on television, just keep your eyes in front of the defense's net. He is a goal poacher, loves to hang out with it just you know, well inside the box all the time and uh, catch those little rebounds and mistakes and short passes that other players have put in there. That said, I think perhaps the most valuable player they have, I'm not going to put this out there as a quote-unquote hot take or something, but they've got a just exceptional central midfielder in Marco Delgado. Two goal, Just two goals and two assists on the year, but 88% passer, which is a high end, and that's what you expect from somebody in a central position, and also loads of interceptions. It's really hard to get a counterattack against this team. He came here after eight seasons in Toronto, who I'm sure really missed him as they uh, missed the playoffs this year as well. Team's current form, 3-1-0 in their last four, but they haven't really been tested except maybe against Real Salt Lake against whom they got a win. They finished the season with a sort of an easier little mini stretch of their uh, schedule. I wonder if they will be sharp enough to beat Nashville at their place, who I just learned are known as, I'm going to I'm going to pronounce it as the Yotes instead of the Yotes. I assume that's Coyotes. In any case, they came up to uh, Major League Soccer in 2020, previously having played in the second division, the USL Championship. Last year, excellent season, finished third place in the East, but they lost to the playoffs in the conference semifinals, which is basically the next round uh, last year. They were very well balanced this year. Had a top five offense, uh, getting one and a half per, and a top three defense, giving up less than one and a quarter per match. Good for the number, overall number four goal differential. So these are two teams that are really evenly matched. Nashville, despite being on the road, I think will look to push the pace and take advantage of that ever so slightly leaky defense there in LA. They had the player who is most likely to do it for them, league golden boot winner. He had the most goals on the season, Harry Mukhtar, their German attacking midfielder, definitely a leading candidate for uh, MVP of the league this year as well. He's also on the assist leaderboard, by the way. Interestingly, he did not come over from a German league, uh, or club, but rather Brondby over in Denmark just a couple of years ago. Team's current form won one and one in their last three, but don't be fooled. This team, that one loss, that's their only loss in their last eight. Match number B. We hop across the proverbial pond. Match number B is in the land of our cousins, England, where they are in the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup, which is really the sixth qualifying round. I'm still bamboozled by the fact that their first two rounds are called extra preliminary and preliminary. But in any case, just a little review for those who are newer. 
The uh, English FA Cup is one of the greatest events in the world. This is not their league, the Premier League. The FA Cups are knockout tournaments. And in England, they involve not only the teams from the very top leagues, but they dip all the way down in the pyramid to teams from leagues that are completely amateur, all the way down to the 10th year. They've got to fight a long way to make any really noise, maybe even make the group stage. Those are called minnows, or if they can manage it, uh, giant killers. In this particular round, we have three giant killers where Minnow's still alive. Three teams are left from the ninth level. At the beginning of the event, we adopted a uh, level nine team called Midhurst and Eastboard on this show, and they favored us with a couple of wins. But once they lost, it was time to adopt somebody new, get a kid who wasn't the losing redheaded stepchild. And we have chosen Ashington, who uh, since us picking them, not that we're taking the credit, maybe we should. They actually have won a couple of games. I believe one of those might have been against a level six team. In any case, it is a level six team that they are going to be playing now. This is from the second highest league that they could have had a team uh, been playing a team from because at this stage, the teams in the National League, which is in the fifth level, by the way, that's the same one as uh, Wrexham AFC. For those of you who have been following, uh, welcome to Wrexham on Hulu. So they're down. Those teams have entered. There are now 64 teams. Kingsland Town plays out of the sixth uh, tier in England, and they will be playing host to Ashington, and we will learn a little bit about them first. And by the way, whoever can get past this round and one more will officially be in the event proper, the group stage where the Premier League teams will enter the fray at long last. Kings Lynn Town, interesting name. They play out of Norfolk County. Uh, the town itself, just to give you an idea geographically, it's about 100 miles, more or less due north of London. Population of only about 50,000. I believe it's considered not a commuter town, but sort of a p- spillover city from London, if you will. Uh, now, Lynn, where do they get that name? King's Possessive Lynn, where there's a couple thoughts on that. If it has a Welsh derivation, then it would probably mean King's Lake, because there's a very similar word in Welsh that uh, looks like Lynn. But... And it's thought that this is more likely, I'm not sure why I didn't go that deep into the weeds, that it's actually an Anglo-Saxon term for farm, which would also make sense, you know, from, you know, the feudal eras where, you know, the uh, people had their estates and uh, grew everything for the king. Now, history buffs will know this, but I wanted to share it, even though it's a sad little bit of history. But one of the things that this little area is known for, back in 1708, Sir Robert Walpole, who was essentially considered the first prime minister uh, he had a seven and 11 year old uh, pair of uh, siblings hung for purportedly stealing a loaf of bread. Ouch. All right, let's get back to the footy. This club was officially founded in 2010, but really has a much longer history. It is what's called a Phoenix club. In 2009, there was a team called Kings Lynn FC that dissolved, probably for financial reasons, not sure. And then this team formed actually just days later with new leadership. And they are known as the Linets, L-I-N-N-E-T. If you're not familiar, or even if you are, that is a type of finch coming to Europe. They play at a ground called the Walks. I just love that name for some reason. That is W-A-L-K-S, not something to cook Chinese food in, although now I'm starting to get hungry. We'll get to that later in the episode with match number eight. Uh, The Walks has a capacity of uh, 8,200, but really only seat about 1,200, which I think for this level is probably pretty average, maybe even a little on the larger side. They entered the tournament two rounds ago. Last round, they beat a fellow six-tier team in Kettering Town, and they whomped them 6-1 at home. I hope that they have lost a little bit of that form here when they're playing our boys from Ashington. 
Their previous best in this event, they made the second qualifying round two years ago, so they have easily bested that. Overall, their best ever finish in any cup tournament was in something called the FA Vaz that gets played annually, and that is a cup tournament, a knockout just like this one, but only for teams from the fifth and sixth level, so the National League and then uh, the regional lower National League teams. Last year, they finished in 21st place in the National League, and so now they've dropped down to one of the regional ones. Uh, This year, they do play in the National League North, and they are in first place with only one loss, and they lead Darlington by one point. So they're looking to move back up into the fifth tier, although there's still a lot of season to go. How are they doing uh, statistically? Well, the defense, uh, pretty darn good. They're letting in less than a goal per match, but a lot of teams are doing that, to be honest. They separate themselves on offense. They're tied for the best in that regard. Uh, They've scored almost two goals per match. And while I don't know any of the – or I. Don't know many of the players over there. I do want to mention that manager Tommy Waddington, he won the league's manager of the month in August. Their top team scorer is, uh, who's netted five, by the way, already this early, is Gold, love that first name, Gold Omateo from Switzerland. Uh, he plays midfield for them, and he actually played for Rex AFC before coming over here. Team's current four of one, one, and one in their last three with a three and two goal differential. So they're starting to pick it up a little bit on the defense. And now Ashington, Uh, we've talked about them for a couple weeks, so we'll try to do a mini, mini preview for them. They are known as the Colliers. That basically means coal workers. They play in the northeast part of the country in County Northumberland, which is about uh, 15 miles north of Newcastle-on-Tyne. And yes, that Newcastle where the Premier League team plays, it's a uh, pretty big-sized town, 30,000. It was once considered the largest coal village in all of England. One of the interesting debates over there is whether it's still considered a town or a village. There's no official national definition. They had to enter all the way back in that extra preliminary round that I mentioned, which should be the very first qualifying round. So they have come a long way. Uh, last round, they had to go to Stock, uh, Stocksbridge Park Steels, interesting name. Uh, they managed a 2-2 draw there. And what that means in this event is they don't go to penalty kicks or play extra time. It means that you then do a replay. And the road team that earned the draw on the road now becomes the home team. And they whooped Stocksbridge Park 3-0 at home. Another, uh, not quite a giant killing. I think they were maybe only one level up, but still an upset. This is the furthest they've ever been in the Cup since all the way back in 1926-27. The ninth level league that they play in is the Northern League Division I, where they're currently in fifth place. But really, this is one of the two best teams in the league. Most of the teams there have played 13 to 15 matches, but this team keeps having to postpone matches in their league because of how well they're doing in the FA Cup. They have only played eight. So currently, they trail Bishop Auckland by 12 points. That's a lot of points to make up, even given the number of matches that they have to do it with, but hardly impossible. And this is the only undefeated team in the league, by the way. Uh, They and Bishop Auckland are uh, both basically tied for number one offense, scoring about three goals per game on average. Uh, This team, Ashington, they have the best defense. They've only given up five goals in their eight matches. Nobody else is close to that percentage. And even though they are short on matches, they've already got the second best goal differential. Good luck to everybody, but most especially our newly beloved Colliers. Match number three. And for our very newest listeners, by the way, no, you did not hear. That was, in fact, match number B, as Person Noob labeled it. And her attitude is good, right, and righteous. Number two, ugh, bathroom talk. We will use the number that is two, but that phrase itself, 
yuck. Let's be more couth and use number B in our lives, everyone. Nevertheless, we are on to match number three and headed off to Africa for the Champions League qualifying rounds. They're in the second and last of their two qualifying rounds to see who will make the event proper. And they are in the second matches of the home and away two-legged ties. That means that each of the two teams that are facing off, trying to advance past the other, they play once at home and once away each of the teams. So the winners of this will get to the event proper, as I mentioned. The losers will not be done with international play. They will get to drop down to the playoff round just shy of the group stage in the secondary international club tournament in Africa. Uh, The European equivalent is the Europa Cup. Here they call it the Confederations Cup. The top six teams got buys into this round. Everybody else had to play their way in. And your matchup is one of those teams that got a buy. Wydad AC, my favorite African team of all. And they are playing host to uh, Rivers United from Nigeria. But first, the Moroccans of Wydad, Casablanca. Uh, the reason they're my favorite is they're the only club I've ever heard of that is named for an actress or a singer. And in this case, it's both. She was uh, an Egyptian named... Uh, Um Kulthum was the way it was uh, Latinized. Her actual Arabic name was pronounced much, much differently, I believe. But regardless, when this club was founded, they were discussing several different names, and one of the guys on their board had just been to a movie starring this gal and said, why don't we name it after her? A very interesting choice. Oh, I should say, rather, I misspoke earlier. Um Kulthum, I believe, might be the Arabic name, but Latinized it was, or she changed it to why dad, which has is a type of affection or love. So a pretty cool name. They are also known as the Red Castle, and they are the second ranked club in all of Africa, right behind a legendary Al Ali from Cairo. Again, they got a bide to the second round, and they deserve it. After all, they are the three-time Champions League titleists, and they are the defending champions, no less. In the Batola, which is the top league in Africa, that is the number one ranked league on the continent. They have uh, won that title 22 times, the most in their nation's history, and are the two-time defending champions. This year's season really just got going. Um, They're only four matches in. Last year, they won the league over their uh, rivals, Raja AC, by three. Looking at their stats, just to see what the complexion of the team was, I doubt it changes too much. Uh, over just the span of one offseason. They have the number one offense in the league. It's a very low-scoring league. They're the only team scoring over one and a half per match. And then a top three defense, only giving up 0.8 goals per match and the number one goal differential. The number one league-leading scorer then, and they still have them, or no, I'm sorry, they don't have him anymore, was Guy and uh, Guy Mbenza from the Republic of Congo, 22-year-old forward. Uh, they uh, backed up the money truck in Saudi Arabia, and so now he is with a top-light team called Altai, T-A-I. So they will be relying perhaps more on their second uh, team-leading scorer from last year, who had four goals, Mouad Elafi from Libya. Interestingly, uh, European footy fans would have a really hard time knowing this guy unless you follow Portugal super closely, but worth mentioning that he started his senior career with Santa Clara, which was, I believe, probably a Division II team at the time, but is in La Liga and doing very well right now. I believe they're in seventh place. This team's current form in their league, well, they're 3-1-0 in the four games they've played. And now Rivers United, they are known as the pride of the river. I was really confused at first by the fact that they had a dolphin and shark on their crest. Even if it's a coastal town, 
that's a little bit weird to name yourself rivers and then have animals that can't swim up into those on your crest. Well, it turns out that in 2016, when this club was officially formed, that there was a merger of two state-run teams that were called Dolphins FC and Sharks FC. So the crest is a little bit on the nose, but I think they can be forgiven for that. By the way, rivers is not uh, some generic thing. It's actually the name of the state in which they play. The town in which they play, or city, I should say, rather, is Port Harcourt. It is the fourth biggest city in the country. It's on the south central coast, and uh, it's got about one and a half million people in the city proper, three million in the metro. Huge port city, and they make their money, and they make a lot out of it. Shipping petroleum, but hopefully... Uh, you'd think they would spend some of it on trying to solve the air quality issue. This is one of probably the worst places in the world you can go for air quality. You go there, just expect to find everything literally just covered in a layer of soot. Uh, I imagine you got to, I hope they allow more than five subs during the soccer game when they play there. It's got to be hard to breathe just about. This is the team's first Champions League appearance of their young history. Dolphins FC, they last made the Champions League in 2011. Uh, in the first qualifying round, they beat Watanga out of Liberia 3-1 to one on aggregate. In the NPFL, which is their top league, and by the way, that is the number 12 league in all of Africa, down four from a year ago, and important because they still get to send two teams. Everybody below 12th in the African rankings, their leagues only get to send one team. So they just barely get there. The 2021-22 season ended in July. The new one hasn't picked up yet. Rivers are, were your champions, and they beat Plateau United by 10 points. Rivers versus Plateau. Yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, they had the number one offense by a lot with one and a half goals per match. So this was a really low-scoring league. They had the top defense only giving up two-thirds of a goal per match on average, and that was good for the overall number one goal differential by a factor of about 50%. Leading score, the number one league score for them last year, and they've still got him, is, uh, and he netted 19, by the way. Big number was uh, Chioke Akuneto. Match number four. That'll do it for Saturday, but your weekend finish is strong and then some. In fact, even including the bonus matches after the main 10, we do not have a single weekday match that we're going to be looking at. Not that there weren't a whole bunch of worthy ones, but Sunday was just chock full of footy goodness around the world. Match number four, we come back to the States for the NWSL playoffs from the female side of things. The top teams from their single uh, conference, the league, they all got to make the playoffs. So the top two got buys straight to the semifinals. We're here at the very first round, and that is going to be number four, Houston Dash, versus number five, KC Current. Looks like the best battle to be had on this particular weekend. They were tied on points at the end of the regular season. Their main tiebreaker was goal differential, and Houston beat them by eight. Uh, as far as the series between these two, it's a fairly young one. Uh, KC have had the uh, ever so slight advantage, I believe, with a four, one, and three record. This season, they split their meetings, and each one on the road, the current one, one to two, and then Houston went back to KC and returned the favor with a nil two win. You can catch this at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Paramount Plus, the Dash playing host. Uh, not a lot of history with this team. That's very good, to be honest. 2018, they finished in sixth place. That's the best they've ever done. So this is easily their best season by far. This is also their first playoff appearance. Congratulations. Last year, they finished in seventh place. This year, they did it with balance. Top three offense, top four defense. Well, top five defense. They were tied in that regard. Good for the overall fourth 
uh, fourth place goal differential. Tied for number six in league scoring. She didn't start the season there, but she's nutted nine goals between her two teams. That is English 21-year-old forward Ebony Salmon, who started her season with Louisville. And I bet she almost wishes they made the playoffs because she was angry about the amount of playing time she was getting. It wasn't nearly as much as she probably deserves. I mean, after all, this is a gal who's made a, a couple of national team appearances, even over in England. It's not like Louisville was very strong this year. On the assist leaderboard, a couple other gals to look for from the league, Maria Sanchez and Shay Groom. Uh, team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three with a 3-3 three and three goal differential. I'm not sure how much of a home advantage they're going to have here. Can the current get the upset? Because of all the playoff teams, Houston had easily the lowest home attendance. I wonder if that's because it's in the downtown district. Not sure. Kansas City. Uh, officially, the current were founded in 2020, but it's so hard to really say that for sure because this franchise has a really, uh, if not that long, still a very tangled uh, history with also having played in Utah as the Royals for a couple of seasons. In fact, my understanding is that uh, the ownership even has the right to take the team back to Utah, I believe, in two more seasons. Here's the hope they say in Kansas City and Utah gets another expansion club if they think they can handle it. Last year, this team was in last place, 10th place. So what an improvement. Uh, to be honest, I felt like they were a little bit lucky in one regard to make the playoffs. Uh, their defense uh, and offense, neither one of them were top six. They finished with a uh, very even goal differential, just as many scored as they gave up. But this team finished the season absolutely on fire. Now, their form was 1-1-1 over the last three. Uh, but that loss ended a 13-match unbeaten streak near the end of the season. Got to think that uh, from the scoring leaderboard of the league, CC Kaiser had a lot to do with that. She netted seven on the year, plays forward for them. She also started the season with Louisville. They kind of uh, threw in the towel early, did Louisville. Uh, she started her senior career with Houston, so this is a bit of a homecoming for her. And then also uh, one of the league leaders in assists, Loal Labanta, which I believe based on her middle name that she has Hawaiian heritage. I'm not sure she's actually herself from there. She has four assists on the year. Match number five. It's playoff time in Liga MX, the top flight in Mexico. They're finishing out their Apertura portion of the season. They always play Apertura and Clausura, opening and closing station, uh, stages, which are pretty much separate. Now, the stage champion of the two with the better record on the year will get to go to the CONCACAF Champions League round of 16. That's where they'll start. The lesser stage champion will have to start in the first round. The runners-up from each of the two stages and the next best two teams in terms of the aggregate record on the whole year will all also get to start in the first round of the CCL. But we're more worried about just the playoffs and how things are going to go, but we need to learn how they look. And so for a little bit of help on that, let's turn to my daughter. It's a teachable moment with Professor Person Noob. Hi. Okay, so 12 teams from the regular season make the playoffs. Number 5 through 12 in the standings start playing what is called the reclassification. Numbers 5 through 8 host a single elimination match against the lesser four. The winners advance to the quarterfinals, where they will play the teams that finish numbers 1 through 4 in the regular season. Right now, we're in the QF, like Dad said. In this round, they'll play the two-legged ties. Fancy way of saying each pair of teams play twice. 
ones at each club's home field. Add the scores, and the better one advances to the semifinals. Okay, thank you, Professor. So let me see if I understand correctly. So you've got 12 teams in the playoffs. The bottom eight play each other for the right to play the other four. So at that point, there are eight teams left. Mm-hmm. And it fits into a nice bracket, and they play their playoffs, and it's wonderful. Yeah. Do I understand? You're quite the professor. I'm going to rate you quite highly online. I don't think people are going to drop your class. <laughs> Good job. Thank you very much for that. Quack. And your matchup is number three, Santos Laguna, playing host at number six seed, Toluca. Now, this is the second leg of the two-legged tie, as Person Noob was mentioning. And it was Toluca at home winning the four, the first match in a shootout, four to three. And to be honest, that's why we chose this one. We wanted to uh, let you in on the highest scoring and perhaps most fun second leg to watch. Uh, the winner of this match will get to play either Monterey or Cruz Azul in the next round. When they played earlier in the season, by the way, uh, Toluca also won 2-1. to one. So they have really had Laguna's number, but can they do it on the road? Well, the series would suggest that it's going to go Santos' way. In recent years, they have accrued a 13-9-9 record against their opponents. You can catch this at the very ex- uh, specific kickoff time of 8.06 p.m. on FS2 if your cable or satellite package runs deep enough. Santos, they are known as the Lakers, or perhaps more commonly, the Warriors. And they play out of the Laguna region in the northern part of Mexico. This is not a state. There are a couple of states that have parts that are considered the Laguna region. The actual city that they play in is called Torreon, which has about three quarters of a million people, uh, maybe a million and a half people in the larger area. Before it got that big, this was a huge ranching area. Now it's more of an industrial town since like the 1950s. They've won six different league titles. Uh, 2018 Clausura stage was the last time. And twice they have finished runners-up in the CONCACAF Champions League. Very impressive. 2021-22 Clausura, the last fully completed stage, they finished in 14th place. No playoffs for them. This time, They don't have much of a defense. They're only number seven in that regard, but they had the best defense in the stage, scoring over two goals per match. And to be perfectly honest, the defense wasn't that big a boogaboo. One and a quarter goals isn't that much. And they finished with the overall second goal differential in the regular season. Some key players to look for. On the league scoring leaderboard with six apiece, Javier Correa, their Argentinian forward, Leonard Suarez, their Argentinian winger, and then a Colombian forward named Harold Preciado. So they're getting a lot of help from abroad, and they're getting their offense from a lot of different places, which I imagine is why they are so tough to stop. But who's the man setting him up? He might be the key to everything. Tied for number three in league assists is Fernando uh, Gurria Ron from Uruguay. He plays midfield for them. European fans, if you like Hungary, you probably know him. He played a while for Ferenc Varos, which is easily the best team over in that country. And he's made seven national team appearances the last two years. Team's current form, well, their leg one loss uh, snapped a five-match unbeaten streak. And now Toluca playing out of the city of the same name. They got a little less than a million people there, a little less than two and a half million in the greater metro area. So a bit of a smaller area, at least than their opponents today. It's more in the south central part of the country, uh, light industrial area, a lot of corporate offices, and it's the home of chorizo. I'll be honest, the texture of chorizo, it's too finely ground. It's not for me, but this is essentially the birthplace of the spicy sausage. And it's hard to say no to that, even for me completely. 
They are known as the Red Devils and have won the league title 10 different times. Last time was 2010, and they are the third winningest club domestically in the country. They have actually won the CONCACAF Champions League twice. Last time was 2003, right around the same time that they were changing the format. 2021-22 Clausura stage, they too missed the playoffs, finishing all the way down in 15th. Like their opponents today, the defense... Not so great. In fact, they're in the bottom half of the league. But they had a top five offense and number six overall goal differential. Key player to look for for them, top 10 in league scoring, is Jean Menses from Chile. Plays winger for him. Uh, he's here after 100 appearances with Leon. So he's been in Mexico for a while. Uh, back home in Chile, he has made 22 national team appearances. And then leading the league in assists, Leonardo Fernandez out of Uruguay, an attacking midfielder, just 23 years old. Uh, team's current form, they won three straight and are unbeaten in their last five. And uh, with a very impressive 10-4 and four goal differential in the three wins, which were all at home. Oh, and by the way, the reason I'm stumbling is because I suddenly realized that I skipped a note. We do have a USA connection here. I've mentioned it before, a winger named Sebastian Saucedo, born in California. Came up with Real Salt Lake, started his career, senior career there, but he's been in Mexico, I believe, with a couple different teams uh, the last few years. Does a recap of last week's matches sound fine to all you kiddies? I'm going to take your deafening feline silence as a yes. Match number one from last week was a Saturday match. Number one in the East Columbus Crew 2 took on number one in the Western Conference St. Louis City 2 in the MLS Next Pro Reserve Team Championship. Congratulations to the Capybaras of Columbus with their 4-1 win. Uh, likely man of the match candidate we said to look for had a goal, Jason Russell Rowe. Sunday, match number B from Major League Soccer. Number eight in the East Orlando took on number seven in the East Columbus crew with a playoff berth on the line essentially and Orlando were the ones who reached out and grabbed it with a 2-1 win for Pendo Torres had the game winning penalty kick late we said to look out for him we're proud um, Orlando finished the season number 7 Columbus out of the playoffs at number 8 match number 3 from Serie A in Italy number 3 Udinese and number B Atlanta from Italy Serie A they played to a 2-2 draw uh, for Udinese Gerard Deulafieu had a goal and his name is just as hard to say now it was last week um nevertheless despite his goal uh they draw and they drop down to number four match number four from the premier league in armenia was number b ararat armenia taking on number one arur two and it was the road team getting an 0-1 win that knocks ararat armenia down to third place match number five from the osvenskan liga in sweden number one jurgarden took on number b hakin and it was hakin with a nil one win here very late in the season and that moves them up into first place and jurgarden down in the second talk about critical Monday, match number six from the Primera División in Paraguay. Number B, Nacional, took on number one, Cerro Porteño. They played to a nil-nil draw. No change of position there for either team. Tuesday, match number seven from UEFA's Women's World Cup qualifying event final. Scotland versus Ireland trying to go after uh, two or sort of three, if you will, World Cup bursts here at the very end of the event. And it was Ireland. Going on the road, getting the win, nil one. They finish in second place out of the three playoff winners and will be advancing directly to the Women's World Cup next year. Congratulations. Uh, match number eight, also on Tuesday from Bolivia's Premier Division. Number one, the strongest, took on number B, Bolivar. And my goodness, 
What an absolute humdinger of a game. Four to four was the final. Uh, that knocks uh, Boulevard down to third place. Now, here's how things went. The strongest were up 3-0, and then Boulevard got four straight goals all in the second half, and three of them were from the 87th minute onward. And then things really got dramatic and heated. Boulevard, guy for them, got a straight red at 90 plus 12 player for the strongest got one the next minute and then uh, a player for the strongest scored a penalty equalizer at 90 plus 20 how many delays were there in the second half of this game and then Bolivar uh, they had a guy get two straight yellows just to cap things off in the 21st minute of injury time wow they really don't like each other Wednesday match number nine for the group stage of the Champions League over in Europe. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen took on Porto, and Porto came to town meaning business. They won 0-3. Man, we said to look for Medi Tarimi had a brace. Uh, that moves Porto up to second place in this group of four, and Leverkusen down to last place. Thursday match number 10 uh, was supposed to be PSL Makassar. And number four, Persita from Indonesia's legal one, where they've got quite a race going, albeit moderately early on. But uh, all of their matches continue to be postponed in the wake of the uh, deaths of over 100 people at that match in Arema that we talked about last week. And now, your bonus matches and explanations, or without explanations, those will come later. Your out of the week was Wednesday match for Japan's J1 League. Number one, Yokohama F. Marinos were ready to lay waste to last place Jubilo Iwata, but somebody didn't send Iwata the script, and they won the match 0-1. That's really critical for uh, F. Marinos because they now only lead the league by two points, and it's very late. They were running away with things just five, six weeks ago. Uh, Iwata still in last place, but what a way to almost end your season. The most meaningless match in the world came on Thursday from Bolivia's Premier Division once again. Uh, number 11, Real uh, Tomayapo, took on number 7, Jorge Wil Wilsterman, and the result was a win for Tomayapo, 1-0. There were three total red cards in this game, and a goal that got scored in the 90, and a goal got scored in the 92nd Man, a lot of drama going on last week. And then finally, your match was disappointed Wednesday from Spain's Segunda División, the second division. Number 20, last place, uh, Lejanes took on number 22, last place, Malaga. And it was Lejanes getting the win 1-0 for them. Juan Munoz, uh, their center forward, who we found to be the worst player on the team based on stats, uh, he had the worst match on the team, according to Bob Bob. Malaga's Pablo Hervias that we pointed out as being really bad. He played for 29 minutes in the midfield and had tied for the worst performance on the team. So the very disappointing continued to be exactly that for these two teams. The win, by the way, did move uh, Leganes up to number 17. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back in to talking about the upcoming week's matches, starting with match number six. We'll continue here in our home region, but move just a little bit farther afield for match number six. Say hello to the Liga Mayor of the Dominican Republic. They are having their championship final, which is not at a neutral site. They're having a home and away two-legged tie, and they have reached the second leg. Now, the Liga Mayor, according to Kick Algorithms, a site I really like and trust for such things, uh, is rated number 10 in all of CONCACAF. That puts them right between their neighbor Haiti and right above uh, Nicaragua, which is probably uh, the second smallest, and if you were to rank them or seed them, the uh, second lowest 
of the top leagues in Central America. In the past, this league has spent has sent rather two different teams to uh, various Caribbean competitions like the Caribbean Club Shield, which is for countries with uh, professional leagues. There's only a handful in the Caribbean. All of that is getting reformatted by uh, CONCACAF, the organization, so I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. But hey, this is the final. The title is on the line. If anybody's going to go anywhere internationally, it's surely going to be the champion. Now, here's how their season looks in this league. First, they have a regular season. Everybody plays at least a double round robin. And then the top six of the 10 teams move on to the championship round where they play a double round robin. And then the best four of those move on to a bracketed playoff. To me, it seems like that second stage isn't necessarily something you need, you know, but hey, it gets them more games in. Your matchup. Number one, Atletico Pantoja versus number three, Cibao. Now, I pulled those seedings from how they did in the championship round, ignoring the regular season, but I will make mention of it for each team momentarily. Cibao won the first leg two to one. So can they duplicate that effort on the road? Well, they played each other twice in the uh, championship round alone. Here's how those went. Cibao only managed a 2-2 draw at home. Meanwhile, Atletico Pantoja they earned a 3-1 victory in the championship round when they hosted. So based on that brief little bit of their history this year, one would have to favor Pantoja, maybe even somewhat heavily, especially as the number one seed. Pantoja, by the way, they play out of the capital, Santo Domingo. It was a club that was founded in 2000, mostly by Argentinian immigrants. They're known as the Warriors, and I love, love, love their crest. It is really cool with its uh, black and then... Uh, uh, gold highlighting as a University of Iowa guy and graduate. I just love black and gold to begin with. But then there's a couple of uh, rectangular uh, horizontally aligned uh, segments near the top of the crest that seem to have some flag oriented design things going on. And I, and they don't match. They're like mostly blue and mostly red. And yet I just think it adds a certain something to make crest incredible. Back to the field. 2019 was the most recent time that they won a league title. They have won six historically. They even won the Caribbean Club Championship in 2018. Uh, last year, they finished in third place overall. This year, they finished sixth place, barely made the championship round for the regular season, and yet that they turned it around and won the championship round. And from that championship round, here's what their stats look like. The defense yeah, it was in the top half. The offense, number one by far, scoring two goals per match, good enough to make their goal differential two and a half times better than anybody else in the league. In the semifinal, they advanced 8-2 to two on aggregate over the home and away two-legged tie over Vega Real. Team's current form, uh, before the leg one loss here in the final, they were 3-1-0. and oh. Over that total five-game stretch, the offense has really been going. They've got a 12-against-6 goal differential over those games. And now Cibao, an even younger club, founded in 2015, I believe with the very advent of this league, and they are known as the Orange Beast, and they play out of Santiago, which is the second biggest city in the country. It's in the north-central part, but not on the coast, and a little bit less than 1.5 million people. Big agricultural area for the country. One of the things they're fairly known for are their cigars. Now, I hope you'll indulge me. That led me down just the tiniest bit of a rabbit trail. I only went to a couple of sources, but I wanted to see how some people out there felt that Cuban cigars compared to Dominican brands. And what I found, which admittedly was mostly from a source that was clearly pro-Dominican in general, 
uh, their thoughts were that the reason that Cuban cigars are favored so much is uh, only really started happening once uh, communist rule came there and the U.S. started trading uh, with them officially. So if you could get Cuban cigars, ooh, it was a taste of the forbidden. But then, in fact, the soil quality is very much the same. The leaves are very much the same in the Dominican Republic. And they actually, because they're generally uh, a little bit of a richer country, they have more of their resources put into it. They can cure the leaves longer and more consistently. You're going to get at least as good a cigar, according to the sites I read, and with Cubans, whereas you might get one great one and then a handful of ones that are barely smokable, you'll get more consistency with those from the DR. Uh, I like a medium-bodied cigar at the very least. I tend to enjoy darker leaves, maybe even something heavy-bodied. But as far as the medium body, which I might try to find myself, I found a boutique cigar maker called PDR, and I'm anxious to try something from there like uh, Capa Oscura, Capa Habana, or uh, Kappa Sun Grown. Uh, they've also got one uh, collection called the Flores y Rodriguez Cabinet Selection, which I have a feeling isn't all that different. They're just jacking up the price a little bit, but make mention of it anyway. Back to the pitch. This team, they are your defending titleists and have won two league titles total in their history. 2017, the year before their opponents today did it, they went to and won the CONCACAF, or not CONCACAF, but the uh, Caribbean Club Championship. And they were the first team from the DR to actually get to play in the CONCACAF Champions League when they did it the next year in 2018. This team, they finished number one in the regular season, and then they slipped back to number three in the championship round. Uh, the defense wasn't that great, one and a half goals per very average, but they did have the second best offense going. They're not nearly as good as Atletico Pantoja is, but they were nearly getting one and a half per. And uh, their goal differential was just a very middling zero over those 10 games. In the semifinal, they advanced over Mocha 1-2 to two on aggregate. Low scoring, but they pulled the minor upset. Team's current form, they are 2-3-0 and oh in their last five matches. Match number seven. Hope you brought a good book for this flight because we're headed all the way to the far east to Japan, specifically for their FA Cup final, where the tournament is called the Emperor's Cup. This is going to get played at the neutral site of Yokohama. And in, uh, the whole tournament has involved teams from the uh, top flight, the J1 League, as well as the J J2 League, and then more than 80 teams from various uh, prefects, basically regional leagues. The winner of this, this is a little bit different than in Europe. In Europe, if you win uh, your country's FA Cup, depending on the size of your country, you will go to the Europa League or the Europa Conference League. Not so in Asia. In nearly all or perhaps even all of the Asian countries, the FA Cup winners get to go to the Champions League and even all the way through to the group stage, even sk skip the qualifying. So the winner of this match would officially qualify for the 2023-24 season. And your matchup is Ventfret Kofu, and they are taking on Sanfreke Hiroshima. This is the seventh time since 1980 that we are welcoming a lower-level team into the final. That would be Kofu. Uh, the series between these two, Kofu has spent some time in Division One, so they have done some playing. Uh, Hiroshima have had the better of it with a 7-4-3 and three record in recent years. Uh, we'll talk about the hosts on paper first in Ventfret Kofu. That word Ventfret doesn't seem Japanese, nor is it. Um, the name is sort of a portmanteau. Portmanteau, rather, for uh, from French words that translate to wind and forest. And these are not random at all, very historically important culturally for this area. Uh, those were part, uh, those were key words 
in sort of the uh, uh, battle slogan on banners from a 15th century famous feudal lord that included that he wanted his armies to be swift like the wind and silent like the forest. Pretty cool. Now, Kofu, that is on the southeast part of the uh, main island, city of about 200,000, completely surrounded by mountains, which is why uh, the feudal system, this was such a uh, big, tough, and important area, and why that feudal lord from back in the 15th century is so culturally important to them. It was a very easy place to defend and therefore to attack from. Uh, these days, not so many feudal lords, not as much warring, but more food processing, food processing, wine and textiles going on. So kind of some light manufacture and some agriculture. Uh, 2010 through 17, they played in the J1 league all those years, except for 2012. Best finish they, they had in that league was only ever 2000, uh, or rather number 13. In last year's J2 League, which just ended uh, maybe within the month, I believe, they finished only in 18th place out of 22. They weren't way above the relegation zone. Almost got kicked back down to one of those uh, prefectural leagues that we mentioned earlier. Uh, but I should, you know what? I misspoke. I said that that season ended, but I'm sorry. I was thinking of a different team in a different league. They actually have two matches to go. So the season isn't over, but they are safe from relegation. So in that sense, their season is over, the danger anyway. Uh, they were very consistently not good. Number 15 offense, barely scoring over one goal per match. Uh, number 15 defense, uh, 1.3 goals per match is what they gave up. And the two together put them down at number 17 for goal differential. Woof, not very good even for this level. Uh, team leaders in scoring with eight apiece are Matoki Hasegawa, their 23-year-old attacking midfielder, and then a Brazilian striker named uh, William Lira, who, wow, if you follow European football enough to recognize his name from the past, good on you. He spent time with one team in North Macedonia, and then he also played for a pretty good team over in Indonesia. So quite the interesting uh, CV, if you will. Four times this team has uh, made the quarterfinals of the FA Cup before, most recently 2018. Obviously, then, this is the best they've ever done. And they advanced to the final over League One's Kashima Antlers 1-0. And they have had quite a tough road to hoe to uh, get to this point. They have beaten four straight League One opponents. How are they doing so well against the League One teams and and crapping the bet against the teams in their own league. Hard to say. Um, on the event scoring leaderboard, by the way, also with three goals in this event, got to look for their striker, a veteran, 34 years old, Kazushi Mitsuhira. Uh, team's current form, <laughs> they've lost six straight matches other than the FA Cup matches. Wow. And then Sanfriki Hiroshima. Uh, they've got another, they've got a name as well from Italian for their portmanteau. Uh, but there was a feudal lord many centuries ago that told his three sons that while a single arrow could be snapped, three bound together could not be. And that was his way of telling the sons to not ever war with one another, but to stick together. So uh, San Freque, basically in Italian, kind of means three arrows. Obviously, they play out of the city of Hiroshima, specifically in the Asaminami Ku Ward, a scenario of about 250,000 people. I gather that it's rather on the outskirts. This used to be its own town and kind of got absorbed in. And it's still a very agriculturally oriented area, even though they have such a population. And if you've ever heard of Hiroshima or Hiroshimami, I can't remember which cabbage, it's a variety of Chinese cabbage. And yet this area is somewhat famous for growing it. Uh, three times this team has won this event, but they were all back in the 1960s that they won the cup. They have won the league title 
eight times, most recently in 2015 for J1. They've made five Champions League appearances. And in 2019, which was their most recent appearance, they made the round of 16, tied for the best they've ever done. They advanced barely to this final over fellow J1 leaguers, Kyoto Senga, 1-2, and it took them added extra time to get to it. In the uh, 2022 J1 League, which is also nearly done, they are in third place, so they're also in line for a Champions League berth, but they only lead number four, Serizo Osaka, by four points for that last one. So they've got two really good shots at it. They better land one of them. In league play, they've got the third best offense going, scoring one and a half goals per match. Uh, defense is only ranked fourth, but really that's not much over one goal. They're very well balanced. Tied for number three in assists, and perhaps their best player on the team, or one of the best, is Makoto Mitsuta. He's a winger, 23 years old. And this is his first professional year. He spent three years playing for university before. And while I didn't read any specific transfer rumors about him, uh, one source I read did make a very big special note about the fact that a guy who went to his university uh, five years ago went on to play for Santa Clara over in Portugal, which was a Division II team at the time. But they're having a very good season in Division I this year. So there seems to be some kind of relationship or at least uh, you know, a maintained connection between Santa Clara or maybe the Portuguese Primeira Liga in general and this particular university. So who, who knows? We might be seeing this guy in a top six or seven league before too long in Europe. Now, I think that the best player that they have going is actually Gakuto Natsuda, their central midfielder. He's only got two goals on the year, but seven assists. Uh, he's a very proficient, if uh, somewhat underused, dribbler. You're not always looking for that from your central position, guys. Great passer, loads of interceptions. What I can't figure out is why they've loaned him out four different times. They've brought him back every time, but they seem to yo-yo him back and forth uh, between themselves and other league teams there in Japan. Team's current form, well, they just had a five-match unbeaten streak. Snapped. They went to a team that was having a terrible year here until the very end, Vissel Kobe, and got absolutely smacked 0-4. Match number eight. And now we head back to Europe for perhaps the most important match on the continent this week. We're headed to Spain for a one-versus-number-B matchup in La Liga, the second-ranked league in all of Europe. As such, they max out on European international tournament berths. Four of their teams will go to the Champions League group stage, one to the Europa League group stage, and then one team will go to the new tertiary Europa Conference League even. And your matchup is number B, Real Madrid, versus number one, Barcelona, those oh-so-familiar powerhouse names. And they are tied on the on, in the table on points. Barcelona are only number one by leading on goal differential by seven. They, in turn, both lead Athletic Club Bilbao by five. So it's not really a two-horse race yet, but you can kind of see that coming. Oh, goodness. I'm used to getting hungry this time of podcast, but I've never had my tummy gurgle quite like that. Look, I don't snack during the show. So usually this is the time where we say, let's take a pause from the soccer and let's take a quote unquote culture break. And for those who know me best, culture equals food. And this week is no exception as we're going to talk about an Andalusian or Southern Spanish recipe or something that is incredibly popular in Madrid in the old quarters, the tabernas, you can find the best ones anywhere. I'm talking about 
soldaditos de pavia. Now, soldaditos means little soldiers, which probably sounds like a strange name for food. Uh, pavia is a uh, area or town in Lombardy, Italy, I believe, in the north. We'll get into a little bit about why they might be called that in a short bit. Again, you're going to commonly find this served in sort of a tapa-sized serving, and basically it's pieces of fried cod wrapped in red pepper slices. Now, you're going to take strips of desalted codfish, marinate them in lemon juice and Spanish sweet pimenton, which is basically paprika, and then either coat them in flour and egg in a frying batter, uh, deep fry them in olive oil, and serve them with a strip of roasted red pepper around them. And that's how you get a really reddish orange color. And that leads to the two different competing theories on why these are called soldaditos de pavia. Some people went with, uh, think that they went with soldaditos just because the traditional color of the uniforms of the Spanish Hussar soldiers back in the 19th century were roughly that same reddish orange color. And then there was a battle in Italy in the 16th century, the Battle of Pavia. I don't even know who was involved. I didn't go the down that deep a rabbit trail like I did for the Dominican cigars, but that there were soldiers on at least one side, probably the Spanish side if they were involved, that had uniforms that color. So pretty close related. But all of this lore is not as important as the recipe because this is a tasty, and even though it's fried, a moderately healthy uh, appetizer or tapas. And so what exactly is involved in making it? Well, if you want to make four tapas side servings for you and your friends who watch the game, here's what you're going to need. A little over a pound of uh, good salted codfish, uh, juice from a couple of lemons, that sweet pimenton, maybe a dash of white pepper, uh, olive oil, uh, probably three tablespoons of that. And then if you want to make a simple benet coating, use a beaten egg, flour, although chickpea flour is even better for this. It's much, you know, much more traditional. But if you want to spend a little bit more time on it and be really traditional, use about two thirds a cup of that uh, chickpea flour that I mentioned, and then add in a cup of some spirit like a, a eau de vie or something like that. Baker's yeast, olive oil, saffron, and a little bit of salt. And then I don't know why you wouldn't for making just about frying just about anything, but please, they don't use anything else anywhere in Madrid for this. You use virgin olive oil in the name of all that is holy. And then when you're done frying it all, you're going to uh, uh, use large roasted uh, red pepper strips to wrap them up in. Now, here's how you make it. Take the codfish strips and you put them in a big bowl with cold water and leave them to dissolve for 24 hours. Try to change the water at least three times if you can. You won't be able to get all the salt out, but you'll do a pretty good job doing it this way. And trust me, you'd much rather have to add a little bit of salt than end up with something too salty, which could be easy to kind of, you can see where you get that, that flavor problem with the red pepper if it's got too much salt in it. So prepare the marinade in a shallow dish, mix the lemon juice with the pimenton. Then you're gonna pat the fish strips uh, with a paper towel, dip them in the marinade, toss them in a coat, drizzle on the olive oil, and then unlike red meat, thankfully, you don't have to marinate this as long. Just three hours will do the trick. Rinse the fish strips, and now you can use one of a couple different methods for making the bananas. Uh, the second method that I'm, the, that I'm gonna talk about is the more traditional one for preparing the batter. Sift the flour and mix it with a tablespoon of oil, the saffron, that eau de vie, or whatever spirit you wanna use, the salt and the yeast. Then find a warm place in your kitchen for this, or I suppose anywhere in your house. Leave it to rest there specifically, because that's what'll cause the yeast to act. And then when the mixture has risen just a little bit and it gets bubbly on the surface, 
that's when you dip the fish strips in and then fry them kind of medium hot in olive oil. And then uh, you dry them off by putting them on a paper towel. Serve them while they are still warm. And if you uh, want to do something with red peppers, don't be afraid to substitute piquillo peppers. I've never had those before, so I would probably try it that way just to see what those taste alike. In any case, I hope that whether it's during this game or some other time in your near life that you will have a chance to try or maybe even make the little soldiers of Pavia. Match number nine. We'll stay in Europe this time for a full-blown mini-preview. Full-blown, but mini-preview? That doesn't really make sense, does it, person who... No, well, I mean, it's an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. Oh, well. So we're going to stay in Europe, head to France. League One, which is the number five ranked league in. Oh, I got to make a big boy poop. Oh, no. Well, that was certainly a first for this show, wasn't it, P-Noob? Yep. Do you have any any thoughts, insights, concerns you want to share about what you what you heard, what what transpired? Apologize to anybody on my behalf. I'm very concerned. Like, what happened? Well, we went out for dinner tonight for somebody's birthday. Yeah. Whose birthday? Dad. Woo! Yeah, that's right. I had a birthday. He's old. Well, I'm old compared to you. That's why you're a person noob. But the, what I really appreciated was where we got to go eat. Because you and your mom are not always, when it comes to... Uh, for us foreign or ethnic foods are not always the most adventurous eaters, are you? No. No, but you went uh, you went with me to a chain Indian restaurant to try out some things that you'd never had before. Mm-hmm. And so, even though we didn't have an actual one of this item, this is a great time to do a... Person Noob Sandwich Review! That's right, review with a B, because if it ends with a double O sound, we're sticking a B on it because we are team noob. We no. haven't we haven't done a we haven't done a sandwich review in a while, have we? It's been ten thousand years. It's been too long, is what it's been. Now are we do we restrict ourselves to mere sandwich reviewing? No. No, this is our show. We can do what we want. I'm not I'm not sure they even had any sandwiches on the menu there. Did you see any sandwiches? No, but is, just to let you know. The podcast government, if you exist and if you are listening, I do not care about you. You are not in control of this podcast. Do you understand that? Radio Free Europe. Yeah. Or something. (laughs) Wow. You can tell this is really unscripted. I didn't expect that either. Of course, after the thing that led to this segment, obviously it's not scripted. So um, let's review your first Indian food experience. Now, you've been there with me before to pick up Indian food. What was the first thing you noticed last time? A big elephant painting, which we're still debating is wallpaper or an actual painting. Now, I think it's very excellent wallpaper, but I think it is wallpaper because I thought I saw a strip sort of in one little corner kind of starting to peel up that made me think it wasn't paint. But it's really a beautiful restaurant. It's really a beautiful mural, whatever it is, isn't it? Yeah. Now, so in your uh, here for your Indian food adventure, what did you decide to eat? Tomato soup. Yes, and what? Yes, because what is more culturally from the nation of India or any of the states therein than tomato soup? Although, and I tried it correctly, it says delicately spiced tomato soup. This was not like a mild uh, cream of tomato like you would have with a grilled cheese, like a Campbell's soup, was it? Mm -hmm. You want to describe to the people what it was like? 
it was like tomato soup, but it had like spicy stuff in it. Yeah, it said it was supposed to have vegetables, but it, it only had little bits of probably spices, didn't it? It looked like a mix between like seaweed and a green carrot. Between seaweed and a green carrot. So uh, on a scale of uh, one to five uh, noobs, how would you rate the tomato soup that you had? Three noobs, really. I didn't think you were going to give it quite that many noobs. Now, what was your favorite part of the meal? Um, there was like a really, uh, uh, we had a spoon, but it wasn't plastic, it was metal, and that sucked because it was burning hot. And I tried to eat it, and it burned me, and I'm like, oh no, the soup's hot. And then I actually spilled some, so I picked it up with my finger, and I ate it, and that's when I realized that the soup wasn't hot. It was the it was the spoon. But when the spoon cooled down, and I spilled some more, so that I could pick it up. That was my favorite part. When that was your favorite part. Was getting burned and going through all that. No, when I spilled it oh. and, and and got to eat it without the spoon. Oh, I see. So that's why. Okay, then the soup was better. All right. Now I'm a little bit surprised you said that because I thought that you liked some of the uh, naan. We had uh, we had three we had uh, two different kinds of uh, naan, didn't we? What kind did mommy order? A uh, mom ordered uh, these little garlic things. Yeah, garlic naan. Yep, pieces of pillowy bread. And then, do you remember the name of the one that I got? It starts with a P. Yeah, Peshwari naan. Peshwari. Yeah, Peshwari. Yeah, it's fun to say, isn't it? Peshwari. And I thought you were going to be okay with the garlic and love the Peshwari because for those who don't know, the Peshwari, they still butter it a little bit, but it's also got coconuts. Uh, it's got coconut in it, raisins, and uh, I think maybe some ground cashew. I love coconut. Yeah. Coconut M&Ms are actually good. Really? Really good. I've tried them. Nobody believes me, but they are really good. I don't like coconut milk, but I like coconut M&Ms. That is, uh, that is startling and insightful. Seriously, That's the them. kind They're of information good. that we're looking for. So I thought that one of the at least one of the nons was probably your favorite, but I guess not. You really liked the soup as long as you weren't eating it off a burning hot spoon. Okay. Of the nons, which one did you prefer, the garlic or the peshwari? The peshwari. The peshwari? Okay, because I brought home enough for both of us. There's only one piece of the garlic naan left. So, independent of the tomato soup, how many noobs would you give your overall Indian uh, Indian dad's birthday dinner experience? Can you can you, can you have like half of a noob? Yeah, it, it's your show, baby. 3.5 noobs. 3.5. Cut a noob in half. Ah, that sounds painful. <laughs> An imaginary noob. noob. All right. That's fair. Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing your Indian food experience with us. And thank you for trying something new for my birthday. I appreciate it. You only have to do it once a year unless you want to try it again and try something different. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I got the really hot, but not quite Indian hot Rogan Josh. What did you think of that with the, the little red peppers in it? The Kashmiri red peppers? It was spicy, but dad pooped it out. <laughs> I think they already got that part. I'm not sure we needed to come full no. circle, but there we did. So thank you once again for tuning into another uh, segment of my sandwich review, but I'm personally. And what I have to say is quack. 
And match number 10. We're done. Finally. Ah, uh, yes, finally, daughter dearest. But don't forget, we've still got the three super fun bonus matches to go, and they're going to be extra special this time around because we've got yet another co-host joining us, as you will soon see. But first, we've got to head back to Asia one more time, but this time not the Far East, but the Middle East. Our destination is the United Arab Emirates, where their top flight is called the Pro League. This is one of the top 10 leagues in all of Asia. Their champion will go to the Champions League group stage, and then two other teams will get to go to the playoff round, one match shy of the group stage of that tournament. This is one of the lowest-ranked leagues that all of their postseason berths are actually in the Champions League. You get even two spots lower, and then you start to get a mix of uh, – Countries and leagues sending their, some of their teams to the Champions League and some to the secondary AFC Cup. We're only five matches into the season, but that doesn't stop us from going here. It's number one, Sharjah Culture Club versus number B, All Wassel. Uh, Sharjah currently leading the table by two. Uh, number three, Jazeera, by the way, are also undefeated. And before I get any deeper into this, I'm just going to let you know uh, I'm going to let you make your own karma chameleon or color by numbers reference in terms of Sharjah uh, culture club. Anyway, uh, that particular team, uh, Sharjah, that is the number three size city in the country at about one and a quarter million. It's in the northeast part of the Emirates, and it is considered, hence the name of the club, the cultural capital of the country. It's also a really, really healthy city. I don't know how it does in terms of Blue Zone stuff, but I know the WHO rates it as an incredibly healthy city. Part of the reason for that is because of the Muslim majority there, uh, there's very little alcohol involved. You can't order it in bars or restaurants, certainly, or anything like that. One other interesting factoid I found about the city is compared to all the rest of the nation uh, in this particular emirate where Sharjah is, it is really, really cheap to start businesses. They encourage startups there like crazy. So kind of a fun side note. Back to the pitch. Six league titles to their credit. 2018-19 was the last one and the only one that they have won in the 2000s. But they finished in third place in the Champions League group stage this year. So they got in but couldn't get any further. Uh, they made the quarterfinals of that tournament once in 2004, best they've ever done. Last year, they were your league's your league runners up. Uh, this year, key guy to look for, tied for number three in league scoring with three already, is Paco Alcacer from Spain, their striker. Uh, he came up with and uh, played for Valencia, also for uh, Barcelona, Villarreal, uh, Borussia Dortmund, so another one of these classic whatever happened to two segments that we like to sort of informally do here on the show. And he played a fair bit of international ball as well. He was with the national team for uh, almost 20 appearances between 2014 and 19. And then tied with him at three goals on the year already is Luanzinho from Brazil. They're attacking midfielder. Fun name to say. Uh, a, a sadder side note, I found I found about him, you may remember if you like your South American soccer, he had a very talented brother that also came up through a club there called Avai, but he passed away from a brain tumor very young in 2017. Now, Alwasel, they have an interesting name in terms of at least me trying to find a translation for it. Uh, a couple of words for Wassel I found in English were the arrived or as a verb, I think it means to continue. I suspect that this has to do with the fact that this is a merger of two previous clubs continuing onwards. Uh, they play out of Dubai and they are known as the Cheetahs or the Panthers. Uh, Maradona fans. Yeah, this is the place he coached in 2011 and 2012. This is a 
It's a good club now, clearly, but it was a, a perhaps even better club in the uh, 20th century as IFFHS, an international soccer body, rated them the best club from this country for those 100 years. They've won seven league titles. Most recent one was 2006-2007. They've only been to the Champions League three times, strangely enough. Uh, they've never gotten past the group stage. Last year, they finished in just sixth place, so they're returning to more rarefied airs. Uh, tied for number three in league scoring, just like the other two guys that we talked to from Sharjah, we have the singularly named Gilberto from Brazil, striker, veteran, 33 years old. And another what other happened to, but this one uh, touches us here back home. He played for Toronto and Chicago in the MLS in uh, the 2010s. Did I say the MLS? Uh Cardinal sin. Anyway, uh, between playing in Major League Soccer and here, he had stops back home in Brazil, went to Turkey, and then Brazil again before ending up where he is now, earning those frequent flyer miles. On the assist leaderboard with a couple of those already is attacking midfielder Fabio Lima. And uh, did I say he was Brazilian? I can't remember if I did or not because he was born in Brazil, but he's been playing here since 2014. So they've actually made him a naturalized citizen. And that has allowed him to play for the national team as he has earned 15 national team caps since 2020. Bring forth the bonus matches. Uh, perhaps my favorite part of the show, in large part because you, the listener, have had the opportunity to have a say in what the content would be. How so? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at Soccer Noob USA, and at the beginning of every week, I put up polls with the candidate matches for the bonus games. You vote. Decisions are made. Dreamy content is produced. It's delightful, but that's not how we're running things this week, because as longer-time listeners will know, we haven't had an appearance yet from 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator Noob Stradamus. And there's a special reason for that. Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, because he usually tokes up the lotus leaf, has his vision, and gives us a woefully inaccurate uh, prediction. I've been losing money instead of winning it to try to send person Noob to college for all these months. But we love him just the same. This particular week, he has decided that he doesn't seem relatable enough, as if his holy powers uh, separate him from the rest of us, and he doesn't want to be seen that way. So he is going to be joining me as temporary co-host for the bonus matches, the first of which is a first versus last place matchup that we call the... Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. I don't understand why Noob lets you mere mortals decide such important things. <coughs> I joke. I joke. I've selected the match location because I love chocolate like you. Oh, and for all my powers, like touching the universal infinite that you could never comprehend... <coughs> um, sorry. I find nothing so useful in my travels these days as one of those multifaceted knives so many carry. See? I'm relatable. Just like you, fellow kids. To Switzerland. And it's a Sunday match from the Super League, which is the 15th ranked league in Europe. They will send their champion to the Champions League third qualifying round. Another team to the Champions League second qualifying round and then two more to the Europa Conference League next year on the other end of the table spectrum. 
one out of the 10 teams will get relegated, sent down to the Challenge League, the second division, perhaps ne'er to be heard from again. Your matchup is in danger, even though it's moderately early in the season. Number 10, Zurich, taking on number one, Young Boys of Bern. Uh, Young Boys currently lead Servette and Scion by five. It's their league. The rest of them are just living in it. Zurich, meanwhile, trail Winterthur, a newly promoted team, by two points. We will talk about the host first, as always, Zurich. Uh, they've made two Champions League semifinal appearances, best they've ever done, but you've got to go all the way back to the 60s and 70s for that. But that's not to say that all their success is in the past. Oh, no. 2018-19, they made the Europa League round of 16. Now, usually they fall out here in the uh, modern era, uh, of the Europa League or the Champions League at the group stage level. And that's as far as they get. Domestically, excellent 13 league titles, and they're here defending champions. I know, and they're in last place right now. What gives? In fact, they're even in the Europa League right now after having dropped out of the Champions League, but they're not uh, going to get anywhere. They're going uh, advancing to the knockout stage. They're 0-0-4 right now. Uh, on the league season, they don't have any wins either. Now, part of the reason for this is probably that their head coach left for Hoffenheim over in Germany in the offseason. And then they started off so badly that their new coach, I believe he was the head coach of the national team in Austria, has already been sacked. They've got tied for the worst offense of the league. They've only scored seven goals in 10 matches. Uh, the defense is nearly as bad. They're giving up two per game. The only player I think they have with multiple goals on the year is Jonathan Okita or Okaida uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Plays left wing for them. Uh, spent the heart of their spent the heart of his career. Just to give you a little perspective on him with uh, Nimegen, which is a team in the Netherlands. It's in the top flight, if not exactly one of their stronger ones. Team's current form, <laughs> well, they haven't won a match since all the way back in August, early on in the Europa League adventure. Meanwhile, Young Boys of Bern, number one offense, almost two and a half goals per match, number one defense, almost down to giving up 0.5 goals every other match, and the best goal differential uh, by a factor of four and a half. And quite frankly, the team they lead in that regard is halfway down the table. Number one league scorer for them with six in the net is Jean-Pierre Nsamay uh, from Cameroon, striker. Uh, he was on loan with Venezia in Italy briefly last year, but otherwise he's been playing here since 2017. And then the second best rated player in the entire league, Chick Niasse from Senegal, a defensive midfielder, he's 22 years old. For a central player, he is an incredible passer, but his tackle rate amongst the best I've ever seen is nearly at 80%. Uh, he also leads the league in interceptions per 90 minutes. He came up with Lille, and I think he really wanted to stay, but for because of his age, I don't think that he was getting enough clarity on his position. Mainly, he wanted to be all but guaranteed a starting role, and it sounds like they weren't willing to do it over there. So here he is. And who knows how long he'll be here because he has had interest from even bigger leagues, teams, uh, well, specifically the Premier League. Teams like uh, Norwich have been very interested, and I read a little bit that suggested Liverpool might be interested. That would be quite a move. They've also got the number one goalkeeper in the league in terms of clean sheets with five of those, uh, David Van Balmus. Uh, he leads the league by far with an 85% save rate. Team's current form, they have won four straight matches. And Zurich will feel the burn, losing 0-3. to three. Could you be... 
the most meaningless match in the world. Yes, you could. You're so boring. <laughs> Noob, you've never written me a theme song. Of anything or anyone on this show, one would think I am most deserving of being regaled so. Ugh, not relatable with that. It's hard. My robes are spotless, flowing as my impossibly silver-white hair. Simply put, I'm a catch. But let's pick a meaningless match. To the Republic of Georgia! At least the listeners will find the name relatable, and or confuse it with the U.S. state. I'm not sure that's the best way to go about being relatable, but yes, the most meaningless match in the world is what we'll talk about from Georgia. This is always featuring two teams that are perfectly equidistant from the glory that would be international births in their table and the relegation zone. Two teams that are just kind of chilling out for the year. Now, the era of Newley is the top flight in Georgia. This is a Sunday match, and it is the 46th ranked league in all of UEFA. UEFA, only their champion, will go to the Champions League, and then two more teams to the Europa Conference League. They get the minimum, being down there in the bottom 10 countries of Europe. One of the teams will be automatically relegated, and then two more will play in what's called a relegation playoff, where they will play for their top flight league lives at the end of the year. Your matchup is number five, Torpedo. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's the most meaningless match. I didn't look it up. Uh, Kutaisi, K-U-T-A-I-S-I, blah, 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 versus number six, Sabertalo. Uh, Torpedo currently leads Sabertalo. I'll cheat and just call him Torpedo by one point. They trailed number three. That's the last team that right now is going to get an international berth. Sam Garali. There's another one. Tiskaltubo. Let's call them Sam Garali. By four points. And uh, this league, by the way, is a two, uh, two-horse two racer. The two best are way far ahead of everybody already. Uh, Sabertulo, in turn, they lead number eight, Siona Bolnisi, by 14 points. They don't have to worry about the relegation zone in the slightest. Really, there's a massive gap between uh, the sixth-place team and the bottom four teams in the league. Series between these two, Sabertulo have had the advantage, accruing an 11-7-5 record in recent years. This year, uh, they've won two out of the three times they've played. They won nil one on the road and 2-0 at home. But Torpedo did get one win, and it was a road match. They won 2-4 in quite a shootout. Torpedo, let's talk about them first. Uh, their town or city, uh, cut. <laughs> Kutaisi. I'm just going to go with that. It's the third biggest one in the country at about 200,000 people. It's the capital of the Western region of Emirati. It was a big industrial city, uh, but it shrunk quite a bit in that regard, to be perfectly honest, in the post-Soviet era. Uh, they're making something of an economic comeback now. There's a, a German solar panel factory there, and it looks like they're going to get a really big electric car factory from uh, some European maker. Awesome for them. Uh, give you a little perspective on teams from this league. This team is ranked just outside the top 300 clubs in all of Europe by UEFA. They won actually the four league titles here in the modern era four times. Last time was uh, 2017. They don't have any group stage appearances to their credit, but they made the Europa League playoff round in 2018-19. So this is a team that didn't used to be so meaningless. This year, their stats certainly are number five on offense, number seven on defense, number six overall goal differential. Meh. Top 10 scorer in the league. They've got one guy who's uh, fighting hard to be a little less meaningless. That is Georgie 
boy, I love covering uh, people from this people and teams from this country. Kukayendizi. K-U-K-H-I-A-N-I-D-Z-E. I think Noobstradamus did this to me on purpose. This is why he picked it. That guy, uh, Georgie K, plays midfield. <laughs> Team's current form. They just had a nine-match unbeaten streak snapped. So if they could regain that form, who knows? Maybe they could, by the end of the year, be flirting you know, with international competition. But this is one of the summer leagues, so they're quite a ways in. Now, Sabertulo, they're one of the many teams that play out of the capital city of uh, Tbilisi. Sabertulo, that actual name is one of the city's central districts. That's who they're named for. They've won the league title just once ever, but fairly recently, 2018. They won their first round qualifying match in the Europa Conference League this year before bowing out the next round. 2019-20, they actually made it all the way to the third qualifying round of the Champions League. That is far and away the best they've ever done in international competition. Last year, they finished in fourth place. This year, the defense is pretty average. The offense is a little bit better. They get over one and a half per game. That's good for top four. Uh, they've even got a, a positive goal differential despite being just in the middle of the table at plus nine. That's fourth best in the league. They've got the second best leading scorer in Iraqi Sikaruldazi. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. Play striker form. Best club he's ever been with in the past was Slovako, having a pretty good year in the Czech Republic. Team's current form, they won four straight, are unbeaten in five, and I have no doubt that all those pronunciations left me incredibly beaten. Prediction? You've had one from the last match. This thing's meaningless. Surely it did, in fact, leave us all feeling a little existential. But how will we feel about the last match? Probably the same as always. The 13th match, the third and final bonus match, the end of our podcast row where we do not end on notes of happiness or joy, but rather with wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the match of... Disappointed! Look, I'm not 100% sure, but I may be immortal. I'm not like you in so many ways. I'm above you. Beyond. It's just how it is. But I hope we can all still be friends. For your match of Disappointed, I've chosen the candidate match from Iceland. Why? Because if we can't all agree that Ya Ya Ding Dong from Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, is a musical masterpiece, then we share nothing. Nothing! Whoops. Um. Bye. That was rich, welcome, captivating. I think we'll do that again sometime. Your match of Disappointed is a Saturday match from the Besta Dailed in Iceland, the top flight there. It is only ranked as the number 48 UEFA league, but that is up four from a year ago. Uh, they'll get the bare minimum on the European international berths just the same as Georgia does. Not that these two sad sack bottom-feeding teams we're going to talk about uh, will really have a shot of it, a uh, shot at that. Here's more their speed. Two of the 12 teams are going to get relegated. There are only three matches left in the season. Your matchup, number 11, Leikner Reykjavik, uh, who have a little bit of hope uh, visiting them, uh, the hopeless. Number 12, last place, IA Akranes. Uh, Leikner, they lead Akranes by two in the table and trail number 10, FH, <laughs> where the H stands for 
half narf fjorder by two points series between these two four oh and four in recent seasons the two times they played already lakner got to host well, my notes here say they got to host both games, but that can't be right. But in any case, they did win 1-0 and 2-1. Lakner, we'll talk about them first. What does that mean? Well, it basically means sporting, more or less. So think sporting Lisbon, sporting Kansas City, Lakner, Reykjavik. Last year, they finished in eighth place. This year, uh, not so much so. This is their first year actually back in Division One. The only other year they were ever up here was 1974, which was the year right after they were founded, believe it or not. They climbed climbed very quickly and then dropped down, and they stayed down for the count. They've got the worst offense in the league going barely over a goal. Second worst defense, 2.33 goals per match. That's the worst we've seen this whole show and that I've seen, quite frankly, in a wild period. And they've got the worst goal differential. Their tiny sliver of hope, perhaps, comes from team leading scorer. He's got five on the season. Emil Berger, Swiss midfielder who probably wishes he was home, even if he were playing for Zurich. Team's current form, but they've lost two straight, and that included a key match that they lost against FH. And now Ikronics, who will definitely be dropping down to the second division, which makes their nickname somewhat ironic. They are known as the Yellow and Happy I know occasionally we joke on this show, but no, that really is the nickname. You can capitalize the Y and the H. Uh, This is a town in the western part of the country, 7,500 people, giving you an idea what Iceland is like population-wise. That makes them the big city in western Iceland, so they're the service town for the surrounding rural area. 19 league titles, but their Halcyon days are long behind them. They last won a trophy in 2001. Uh, They did make the second qualifying round once of what is now called the Europa League. That was in 2004-05. Last year, they finished in ninth place. This year, well, their stats are pretty much the same as their opponents like her today. A little better on offense. They're a little worse on defense. Team leading scorer with seven on the year is Athor Wohler, 20 years old, a homegrown product from there in Iceland. Team's current form, well, they just beat Fram Reykjavik to snap a three-match losing streak. So I suppose good on them for trying to do a little something good and figuring out how to play this darn game here at the end of the season. But that's not good enough. And so we will not wish them good luck as we do to all the other teams we've spoken of this podcast, but rather we will shoo them away in our usual fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get them away. Hey, boo. Boo. Waldorf Staller, thank you for sending us out the right way. This has been episode number 105 of Soccer Noob Rocket America featuring Person Noob. Thank you, as always, to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry, to Dan, the former website Interno Inferno, who still lends us his creative efforts and inspirations all over the darn place, and to, of course, my daughter, Person Noob. Thank you so much for joining me on this, especially on my birthday week. I know we always have lots of fun doing it, and you love contributing soccer and non-soccer things alike. And, of course, thank you to you. I hope that you've enjoyed what we got here. We've really endeavored to create something, uh, you know, unique, you know, different than any other podcast out there is giving you, ha, for better or for worse. In any case, until next time, have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care.